Welcome to Card Market Cast, your source for news and opinions on Magic the Gathering from the world's leading marketplace. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Card Market Cast. This podcast is brought to you by Card Market, the best place in the world to get Magic the Gathering singles, accessories, and anything card game related. I'm Harry MTG, and I'm joined by my two regular co hosts, Dan. Hiya. And Philip. Hi. So this week is a very special episode because we're going to soon get on call two very good Magic the Gathering pros, Arnie Hushenbeth and uh, Terrell Severin, both pros that have played in the Kaldheim Championship over this past weekend. So obviously we're going to get into the standard and historic format. We're going to be talking about the prize structure of the event, the event in general. We're going to get into a lot of MPL things, rivals, challengers, all that jazz. And towards the end, we're going to talk about spoilers and also how to get better as a Magic the Gathering player. Uh, before we get into it, though, we actually have a special announcement that Tavern is going to let us know about. So, yeah, we're starting to do a promotion every week with the podcast. We've got some permission to do this. Um, we're going to give a giveaway every single week. Uh, this week, I believe, did we agree six Kaldheim booster packs just for this week, just to start off with? Yeah. So all you need to do is to be entered into this. It's free to enter. You just need to go to Apple uh, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, whichever one you want to call it. Uh, just... Sign up for free over there. Just leave a quick review for this podcast. And then if you want to ask us a question that we can answer in the next podcast, then um, feel free to do that. But all you have to do is leave a very, very small review, even if it's just saying thumbs up. Yeah, so just head over to iTunes, leave us a review under the Card Market Cast, and you get entered in the chance to win six Kaldeheim boosters. Anyways, why don't we just quickly get Arnie and Toralf on the call, and let's get into it. Okay, so we're here with the two pros, Arnie Hushenbeth and Taras Severin. How are you guys doing? Hello. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, awesome. It's, it's great to have you on the cast, honestly, to be uh, actually have some pros this time around rather than just us three kind of rambling and hoping what we're saying is correct. But, um, you know, we thought it would be appropriate to ask you a few questions to start things off, kind of relating to preparation for this most recent event. Obviously, you've both played in the Caldam Championship. So, Arnie, I wanted to start off with you and basically ask you, you know, how do you go about preparing for a tournament of this caliber? And what did you do? Um, so I do nothing for the first two weeks, then I ask Toffel what he's playing, and then I submit that. That's basically about <laughs> it. <laughs> that's my track. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's a that's a big question. I mean, get get together with a good team that is enthusiastic and talented about it. Um, play a lot, theorize about the game. What are you expecting for the meta game? Look at the win percentages. What is what is speeding what? What do you expect this weekend to be at the top of the of the game? And then um, play a deck that beats that or tune your deck so you can beat that deck. And of course, play with every deck. Even the decks you don't want to play with, play with all the top decks so you at least know what it looks like from their perspective. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Just like making sure you know the metagame and kind of predict the metagame. So is that something similar to what you do, Toffel? Um... <laughs> so, you have to kind of you have to kind of see your role in all of this right mm-hmm. sometimes there are people who are really good at uh building decks but not really at figuring out uh like some something about the metagame there are people like brewing a lot some people who like, take decks that are very standard but make them good against other decks so there there's a lot of enjoyment in different ways and you need to have kind of all the parts together to have something and uh, a lot of the times for me, I try to find newer stuff and stuff that uh, that might work, but more than often doesn't. And then in the later stages, have some other people refine the list that they think is best. 
and usually Arne just slams the right thing that is right good for the metagate right now. And then uh, if that's really good enough, then it's usually what we play. So in the end, my contribution to the whole thing is much less because I have a higher refair rate, but uh, hopefully eventually sometimes I help. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to sell yourself there. <laughs> you no, no, I said, I, I put nothing in and I fail. Like, that's yeah, truly I mean, not true. The, no, no, the, the, the progress, a lot of the progress from testing is failing a lot of times. Yeah, yeah, like of course, yeah. with, with everything you put in, like every card you try, every idea you have, way, way more often than not, you're going to have not the result that you're looking for and you basically discard what you did and this this is you need like if you ever did like some computer robot thing in order to make like a thing you need exploration versus uh going like, deeper into the problem and you need to have both in order to satisfy to find the best thing quickly yeah, for example, in this testing, you tested um, the Storm decks with inspiring statuary coming out and stuff like that. I would probably not touch that um, voluntarily because I'm just a control guy or like I just like to play normal games and not combo games. But here we have Toffel. He didn't find anything in particular crazy or insane this time, but maybe next time, right? But but that also means if uh, if you have somebody who's like really... Uh, good at trying those decks out and eventually failing, you can be pretty sure that others also failed going through the process and you can eliminate maybe that this is a strong contender. Exactly. Okay, so uh, I'm trying, I can't remember the guy's name. Um, I think his name was Justin Brown, Sam Black's uh, housemate for a while. He was the person who brought Amulet Titan, I think, to the forefront Cohen? in modern... Uh, Cohen, that's it, sorry, yes. Justin, uh, mm-hmm. Justin Cohen. Is that what you mean? Like so he was just trying, or is that just a specific, specific example to him where he just tried this deck out randomly? Would he have probably behind the scenes been trying loads of different decks out and just came across this thing? Is that what you mean by you just try things out and hopefully something sticks and so you find something broken? Yeah, I mean, I tried a lot of like as I said, Storm Deck with Birgit and the Paradoxical Outcome, and that didn't work. And then we tried some other obscure decks with new cards uh, that just have a lower rate of actually getting there because they're way more complicated to build and to make work. But sometimes there is this success that you have because the deck's actually broken and you don't want to miss that. Because if you're, let's say you play stock decks, it's really hard to go really wrong with stock decks because they establish themselves by being normally good enough to be playable. But if you play something that is just okay and somebody figured something out that is completely broken, you basically just lost the whole tournament. Mm. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. The another thing I wanted to ask is we kind of had a unique uh, tournament, right? Because it was dual constructed with both standard and historic. Did mm. you kind of distribute the formats between yourselves or were you all just kind of testing testing in, in both formats? You know, how did you go about deciding what format you would play on? I guess, which day you were testing kind of thing. So for me, it was kind of easier to prepare for historic because all the leak things were right before and also standard. So not only me specifically, but we all came into a standard being widely explored, but also I played a lot of games before in standard. So I knew that it's very likely being one of two or three decks and you just need to tweak five to 10 cards, depending on what you expect. So my, and I think also the whole team's 
priority was on historic, getting a lot of games in because there also was the new drop of anthologies that added like 20 cards, some of them being very important uh, for the metagame. And I would say if you put like a time distribution on it, like for me, it was like 80-20 on historic. Well, for me, it was more than... I switch it up all the time. Also, like to 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 stay in the format, um, but like not go all the way in one week. Just switch it up so you to just you stay attached. And um, I was mostly um, playing like John Company at the beginning of the story, just being the arch nemesis, um, and trying out different things against all the people that just wanted to brew and stuff. You know, in our team that just wanted to try this deck out or that deck. Um, but yeah, there there was no real organizing. Anyone who just wanted to play something or test something in a different format um, could just go go ahead and do so. And yeah, but to be honest, we did our standard testing like in the weeks before the last week, mostly like seventy percent and thirty percent historic. And in the last week with the SEG qualifier, we um, concentrated on historic a lot. Yeah, if you if you looked at all the historic involvement, standard was kind of locked. Like everything was really a lot dependent on what people expect to play and then you build something against it but historic was constantly changing like every week or even days there was like john food was like john coco was on top and then it was john food and it switched like all the numbers and it's really incredibly important like basically the whole thing like three days before the tournament all you did is just preparing decks so in the end when you know what people would play you could quicker assess what would be good because you already played all the matchups and know what is good. Yeah, and to add to that, I mean, imagine the SEG tournament wouldn't have happened on that weekend. I think the mm. the, 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 the call time championship would have looked completely different yeah. because there was such a huge sway towards junk food. I feel like a lot of people just switched to junk food in the end. Um, that is very interesting to see, right? What an impact this one tournament can have. Like I listened to, to LSV and you said that uh, they were locked on uh, on Junt, basically. And then they realized, like, Sunday evening, and the deck registration was Sunday uh, uh, Sunday morning, and the deck registration was Sunday evening, that the SEG thing had, like, 40% food and it went, like, super well. And they all, like, switched to the Absent deck they all eventually played uh, that was built against Junt food. And that is something that is so random in a historic metagame because it happens for, I mean... No reason or all the reasons doesn't matter, but you have to assess that so quickly that it's kind of hard to prepare for it, uh, given the time you have. So can I just ask you a quick question there um, about uh, preparation for the tournament? Because obviously there was, the top eight was in standard, but I, I believe, if my memory serves me correctly, most of the rounds in the Swiss were in historic. Am I right in that one? One more in historic round. One more in historic. So this is part of a, a, new, a moot point then because if it's that close in uh, splitting rounds. But uh, did you put a bit more emphasis as a group, not individually, like on historic or on standard based on the fact that, I mean, obviously if you go to the top eight, you've got standard. Normally in Switch, you'd have three rounds, I think, of draft and the rest of the day being standard or whatever that tournament is, modern or whatever. Did you put more emphasis as a group on historic and making sure you got historic right? Or again, was it just a case of you picked out what you wanted to do individually and then you brought it together as a group well i knew i was making top eight so respectable yeah yeah no the, the quick answer is no 
you you don't care. There's you don't play anything because there is a top eight in in a different format. It's it's not worth making a distribution of putting ten percent more time into something. There there is somewhat of an idea of saying okay, if we expect like the more the more successful decks to be a certain deck, but the average to be not, then you can build your deck against the deck that you expect to be better in order when you get there, you have like a smoother ride at the end of the rounds. But I also think that's kind of hard to to estimate nowadays. Like yeah. if you say like, okay, blue-white control is a very great deck and I want to build against blue-white control, so I farm it in the end. Then you can just play blue white control probably and be at the same. The same. <laughs> Interesting word choice there. The farm. The farming. Yeah. <laughs> I, oh my god. You you invented it. Like I, when I read it first, I was like, "That's very cocky." And you you better deliver to have all of this like <laughs> end, end up well. And I guess he chose the way of actually delivering, which is, I mean, <laughs> it, it works. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So to go a bit off track, you know, we have talked about the the structure of the event and it being dual. <laughs> dual constructed i kind of just wanted to ask you both you know we haven't seen limited in competitive magic for the past year it's been a lot of discussion in the community about should they bring it back obviously they are they are a bit limited with it being on arena no pun intended yeah, but um nice. you know are you are you happy to see limited disappearing or you know do you wish that there was more limited in in these championships should I go ahead? Okay, uh, well, I, I, I really like playing Limited. I used to be pretty bad at it, to be honest. Like, I always had like 1-5 Limited records at PTs. I went 10-0 and 0 at a PT and constructed once and didn't make top 8. Um, you can imagine what my Limited record was. Um, <laughs> no, no, tell me. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, mixed feelings about that one. Obviously, very proud achievement. Anyways, yeah, Limited. I, I love Limited. I would love to have it back, honestly, but I'm fine having it all constructed too. Like uh, I played two, two out of three online players tour pro tour what have you championships and i <laughs> top aided two of them that i played out of the three and they were all constructed so i think this definitely favors me and i'm, I'm definitely in a, in a monetary sense i'm happy about it <laughs> <laughs> well, awful. yeah like if, if he has to make like the ev decision he would keep it constructed and for me it would be the same if i have to make an ev decision i would only make it limited like this <laughs> it's it's just some people are better than this and others for natural thinking reasons or stuff. But I think it's like for like diversity of skill testing, I think Lingit is very important to have as a format. But unfortunately, it's not technically available right now. Hopefully they work on this and make it eventually a thing that they have those split things of uh, limited and constructed again. And... That's all we can do. Like, so if I have a button and I would make make it limited again, I would press it. So I've got a question. Then you said that it diversifies the skills needed to to succeed. So mm -hmm. guys, what do you need to be good at constructed, and what do you need to be good in, uh, at limited? What's the difference? The on the on the surface, it's very easy to say. Constructed rewards a lot of playing and memorizing a lot of patterns and recalling what you already saw and limited rewards, thinking on the fly, kind of 
without preparation adapting to what's happening because a lot of the things you uh, encounter is new to you in every game that you're playing. That's why Limited is so exciting for a lot of people. It's always something new. There's always new board states. There's always new new decks, new interactions. And standard, a lot of the time, becomes of making the perfect decision because you know it, and Limited is making the best decision because you feel it's best. That's nice. That's nice. nice. Yeah, that, that was really good. Oh yeah. and that's I never what, thought that, about it like that. That also what highlights a lot of the different player styles. That's why Arne is a lot better and constructed than a lot of other people. Uh, <laughs> if you read the article from Music Has You Known. Because like his way of playing a lot of games and also f- memorizing board states, knowing what worked in which board state, knowing what uh, what is the better outcome because you've seen it happen and you know what what how the game evolves favors a lot is constructed but then there are also people who don't play a lot or just naturally can think about what card could possibly do and then squeeze it without even having seen the thing and uh it's it's two different skills and it's very hard to mix them together okay okay, so uh so i've got one one last follow-up question so people complain a lot about limited because for example they lose to a bomb or a rare or a mythic um does it really happen how does it work like at the top top level? I yeah. see you're laughing already. So Yeah, I mean you, you lose to uh, Dream Trawlers or the Angel Mythic or whatever. A lot of the things are more preventable than you think. Like you can save a removal spell here, you could pick more removal spells in draft or whatever it is. You can sideboard better. There are a lot of prevention mechanisms or dealing with stuff once they happen. They do happen, but it's a little bit the same and constructed as their draw was just too good, right? They have like a curve one, two, three, and then you also couldn't do anything about it. I would say a lot more than not being helpless in a situation is your fault than the cards. Okay. Thank you very much. That was a great answer. Thanks. So I've got one last question on this one, and this is something we actually brought up, I think before the podcast last time we actually had a podcast, me, Harry, and uh, Philip. And it's my opinion, and maybe you guys have a different opinion here, that uh, I don't like there being mixed formats particularly limited, along with standard. Like Arn is, uh, where he's talking about he went 10-0 in a tournament, and because of limited, he then couldn't win the tournament. Do Do pros actually dislike there being different formats, particularly limited with constructed in the same tournament? Does it sometimes feel like it inhibits your chance of actually progressing in a tournament because of something that you don't particularly care about, I guess. Uh, I think it's just about the, the pro tour is just like the top of the game, right? And so you just don't want to have one skill set being um, asked to to make it to the top. You want to have yeah. multiple skill sets to be asked. You want to have a player at the top of everyone else who has a diversified skill set who's good at limited who can assess this and who's also good at constructed i feel like that's the reasoning behind like split formats at world championship and um at pro tours okay so i've I've got a question then um if you guys wanted to win win a tournament and you got got to pick two constructed i don't have to be constructed but two formats for that tournament what two formats would you choose for that tournament You mean literal formats like Shards of Valera block or something like that? I mean, I guess <laughs> if you want to, you can say that. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I just, like, would you go like maybe Vintage Legacy or would you go maybe Sealed Historic? 
Standard Legacy, I would go. I think those are. And why? Why is that? Why? Hmm. I love playing Legacy. I think I'm pretty okay at it, and I just love playing Force of Will, Brainstorm, and just having interactive spells. It's just so much fun. It's the best magic. And Standard, I mean, I'm really good at it. I like the evolving meta game, and just always like what what's on top right now. Um, but you could probably replace Standard with Historic or something similar. And you, Jafo? So I would definitely choose Chaos Draft. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Which uh, is also limited format, but also uh, we in Berlin, back back in the days, you know, years we did that every week. Nowadays, not so much, but it's the way I personally, and uh, I think a lot of the the Berlins have over other people's because we played it like so, so much. It's, it's an incredible, whenever it's online, basically, uh, we try to play as much and it, it really shows how you, you just look at the booster, you know all the cards because you've drafted this thing or the booster a lot of times. And it's just, it rewards so many on the fly, limited is like thinking on the fly. Chaos Draft, it's like, there's so many different combos and interactions which you have never, ever seen before. And then you have to make a deck out of those random piles, which has synergy and it's beautiful. It's I, th- I think I think it's the most enjoyable way for me, obviously. Um, what was the second format then? Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it would be kind of boring to also choose a limited format. So I, if I if I have to choose a constructor, I'd probably say modern. Uh, yes, fine. Uh, yes, I would probably choose modern. Not that I think there's um, like a, a difference in the constructed format. Like if it's standard, I guess couldn't. I think I just had the most fun in modern, uh, having all the different decks. Turn free, calm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I, I, I enjoy when there's like I think that's the same from Legacy, right? When you have a billion decks uh, that you could play against instead of three, and the way of maximizing your your win percentage is not playing the same matchup and making it two percentage higher, but actually having a broader sense of how car- your cards are good against everything. Nice. So it was actually very interesting because your answers were, are completely different, right? Yeah. Like standard legacy versus modern chaos draft for some reason. Also, <laughs> like, uh, honestly, I think the reason why the both of us work together a lot, like very well, is because we have a lot of things that the other one doesn't have and we're trading it back and forth. Nice. So we game (laughs) to be fair Arne moved to Berlin and he was crap at limited and I'm I'm not meaning like I'm not meaning it in a he wasn't good he was he was just he was just he was awful right (laughs) and and I mean for for a high high league awful like it is yeah yeah um and that was mainly because uh his he played a lot of constructed before his brain works a little bit different but also his environment just didn't uh, support, I think, the limited enthusiasm that because was it. And I was like, hor- I was even more horrible constructed, and Arna was like way beyond. So, and then, then we also played a lot of uh, together over the team events. And we did just the way we helped each other grow in all of the things that we were bad at was so helpful. Well, I, I guess that kind of makes sense when you're building a team like, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, two of the best players who've ever played the game. You don't stick them in centre-back and goal, do you? No, they've got different <laughs> skills that you apply to different positions. So it does kind of make sense if you apply to different yeah. sports. Agreed. 
Okay, cool. So something I wanted to ask you both is that there's a little bit of a confusion with how the pro system works now, because it's kind of, I feel like it's been communicated not great to the public. And, uh, you know, Arnie, you're a challenger. To Ralph, you're a <laughs> rival. So, you know, while in the past we had the pro point system, it was obvious you win matches, you get pro points, more pro points is better. But in this spot here, I don't really get what it means for you, both of you to do well. So Arnie, with you being a challenger, I kind of wanted to ask, you know, what does it mean doing this well in the event for you now that you've won it being a challenger? Um, this essentially means good amount of money um of course it means a qualification for one of the most important tournaments the most important tournament the challenger can achieve which is the challenger gauntlet which is the 24 best challengers of the season the top eight best challengers of each championship mm -hmm. so we have six of them set already we have eight more coming in the strict saving championship and the top 12 in that 24 player tournament will reach big big time like they will get rivals i think fifth to twelfth will get rival league and play in the rival gauntlet correct me if i'm wrong Toho. Mm -hmm. and i think top three will get worlds invite and top four will get all mpl so top three gets just everything i mean imagine how much ev that is i don't even want to think about how much well it's yeah it's a lot <laughs> so this is an all or nothing tournament if you get 13th place um well maybe you should yeah well Wow. Yeah. Okay. So basically you've qualified for a tournament that will qualify you for rivals or MPL. Okay, cool. So what about you, Taralf? Um, you know, it's, uh, first off, you know, how did you do in the event? I think we should make that clear as well. And, um, you know, what, what does that result help you in, in the rivals? It doesn't. For me, the event... The event was less, uh, way less important, so I just uh, played horrible. I shifted my equity to other things. No, okay. <laughs> um, no. So yes, so it is true that for everybody who's in a league, the event is way less important because the points you get from the tournament aren't as big as the ones from the league weekends. So in comparison to what you get through all playing all the league weekends, the points you get in those tournaments. I'm just as heavy. You can only get four points in a league weekend. Every round is a point here. You can only get up to four when you play like 16 rounds or 12 or whatever. So it's every round is like a fourth of the value. It is nice because once you, because it's harder to get points, it's also hardest for other to get points. If you get some, so points are nice, but in the end, if you fail those and I failed those, <laughs> um, then it's not that bad. What yeah. I wanted to add to the challenger thing, um, I don't agree that the system is confusing for challengers. Mm -hmm. And I also don't agree that it's bad. I would say right now, with everybody being challenger that is not in the leagues, it never was easier to get into the league or play Worlds for anybody, like for any, any challenger. Because now comes the only thing you need to do is to qualify for the the um, playoffs, like the, the through the arena thing, the the qualifier thing, right? That gets you to the pro tour when you play seven two twice, which is kind of a reasonable expectation. Like you, you don't have to top eight a GP, which is usually like twelve two or something. You you need to only play seven two twice, which is a reasonable feat to do. You can lose twice. 
Um, and then once you get into the PT, which there are a lot of ways to qualify for, you only have to make top eight challengers. And yes, only is a bit of a rich statement, but we had 200 people playing the PT. Top eight challengers was, I think, 22nd played place with an X5 record or X4. This is not very difficult. Like this is doable in any sense of magic where you can see that you can actually achieve it. Then you make it like Arna to the challenger gauntlet. And there you have a 50-50% chance of making it. So it's a very it's a very weird pass because it takes a lot of step, but each step is kind of not unreasonable. And that's why I would say if everybody tries to be like to actually want to get into those leagues, if you uh manage to somehow get into the qualifying round that is top 1,200 uh, arena, standings, and mythic, or playing uh, some other events that you get it, then it's it's more likely to get there than normally you would have to make it to the PT somehow and then win a Pro Tour to make Platinum or get top A to maybe gold and stuff. But on the other hand, from the perspective of an MPL player, how difficult is it to stay in? Yes, the MPL is very hard to stay in. So like if you're MPL you're way more likely to be in rivals at the end of the league than stay in the MPL. And that is because only the top four of MPL stay and the rest go into like gauntlets to fight for it or go into rivals immediately. And I think Christoph Prince, also Magic Card Market, uh, card market uh, player uh, and streamer um, stuff, uh, calculated that the value of a rivals game is actually more worth than the value of an MPL game because the MPL has such a high um, chance to get into rivals and rivals has a better chance to get into MPL. Wow. And it's crazy. Also rivals loses, loses a lot more because they can go out, but I I don't, I don't think the system is perfect, um, but it is how it is nowadays. (laughs) Yeah. You mentioned there that you, you were demotivated to kind of try in the Caldam Championship. You know Oh no, no, that was a lie. <laughs> yeah, it was only joking. Oh, it was a lie? Yeah. Oh, you actually no, tried? that was joking. Like yeah. Oh, okay. 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 yeah. Okay. Demotivated in the sense is that it's not a hundred percent important. So that doesn't mean yeah. like I'm not trying what I have, but also um the yeah, when you play um when you play the leaks every other week, like if we talk right now, actually next weekend will be another league weekend. So for me, that's two like a, a two weeks turnaround. Uh, Decklist submission and playing a lot of matches. It's a lot of like playing Magic while I also have a different job uh, next mm-hmm. to it. So there's actually for me an energy uh, like thing you have to divide. Okay, how much do I put into this weekend or into next weekend? Because I cannot test eight days a week, eight days a day, eight hours a day and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, that, that. and therefore it's very true that I didn't put as much energy into this championship than I would put into a rivals weekend. Okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I was but just going to mention. Mean I'm not, <laughs> doesn't mean I'm not doing anything. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, kind of like the the prize pool of this tournament seems extremely flat. Um, I tried to do the math quickly, and I think first place got six percent of the prize pool. Like. This to me seems very low as someone who follows a lot of esports. I just wanted to kind of hear your opinions on, you know, do you think that this is the right thing to do to make it so that eighth place essentially gets the same as 14th place and 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 the way that they've structured it? 
Yeah, huge mistake. They should have given the first bet everything, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, <laughs> something around I think it's just absolutely the correct play in that position. I don't know what they did there. I, I mean, yeah, they should uh, give like 50k and a world's invite, you know? I'm playing a challenger gauntlet, okay? <laughs> I'm coming for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah honestly, um, it sucks. Like, they, they took away... A lot of the price pool. I'm not complaining, to be honest. I'm super. You should no, no. You, I mean, you shouldn't. But also, you. There's no. Nobody would fault you if you would, right? Other people play, winning those tournaments won a lot more, right? And it's it's a bit sad that like I mean, it, it's a bit of a privilege crying of thinking I only won like fifteen thousand or something. But um, it's. I think they could do better. Right? They. Yeah. From what I know is that Hasbro and Wizards made a lot of profits this year. Magic is going great. The sell numbers are, are high. And it's it's a lot of discussion within like the Magic community, the pros, the Twitter, whatever, uh, that they're not doing a great job in promoting and paying out on those tournaments as they should. Yeah. Well, also, what I was kind of meaning as well is like, so this tournament is 250K, like, I meant like, do you think that the way that they distribute this money should be changed? So like, for example, Pro mm, Tours, yeah. maybe three years ago, you wouldn't get money for going 03 or whatever, 010 drop, you know? Would you prefer a tournament where you're not guaranteed money, but if you do well, you're you're going to get more? Or are, are you guys happy with the fact that if you turn up, you get $500 and maybe it's not as as stressful for you? Um, I mean, multiple factors come into this question. I think each person has a different opinion on that. If you're a more risk-averse person, you probably want to have a more flat-out um, payout. I mean, from my own personal yeah, personal point of view, I would have it more higher. I think that also attracts more viewer, right? One yeah. person congratulated me for winning 250,000 US dollars. <laughs> I should tell them <laughs> that I was wish. the total price payout, <laughs> not first place. Um, so yeah, it's good for promotion, right? Having a big payout for the first place. I mean, if you can if you can trick people into thinking that's the first place, I guess, then you're fine too. But uh, well, um, yeah, so for, for in my case, I would just say a higher payout, less flatter payout. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. very, it's very easy. Like if you ignore like the emotional thing from like I like having five hundred. The better you are, the more you want it to be top heavy. So if your win percentage is, let's take something absurd, seventy five percent, you want everything on top, right? You 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 don't want all the hundreds place to get money. If your win percentage is 45%, then you do want those because it's obviously you get something without even playing, but the, also the flatter it is, the more likely you get at least something than nothing. Getting 500 for every place, I think is still an artifact from when they removed the travel award and added it to Pro Tours and then didn't remove it uh, be, when they went online. And I, I guess people would have complained or not. It's probably a uh, image thing that they kept it um i don't think it's necessary if people don't have to travel or expenses you know but uh i also agree if you take the player out yeah it's all about promoting the game making the game as successful and that means if you you tell somebody the one the winner got 250k 
for example, then like a thousand, ten thousand, whatever, it's better. Moving along to standard, then um, you were both on Demir Rose, is that right? Or Blue Black Rose? I assume like everybody in your team was on that. Was anybody any different, or was it just you guys all on Blue Black Rose? So, what was the actual choice behind that? Between behind you guys choosing Rogues over Team or Adventures, which seemed to be certainly on a conversion rate to the top sixteen, probably the best deck going there. Um, was it just to come up against uh, Team against Ultimatum decks, or what was your specific plan going in with the Rogues deck? Tofa, do you want to go ahead? Sure, because I didn't. I didn't uh, make tomato on this. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. So um, we had a really big team. Like our team had like I think twenty people uh, that were qualified or something around that. So that was ten percent of the meta game. So quite a lot. Um, we didn't play the same deck. All of us. It's very hard in a meta game that is that open to make everybody convinced on what they play because some people like other decks, they're more experienced with other decks and there are different opinions and so on. For me, and I think also for Arna, it was very obvious that we either play Soltai or Rogue. And there was basically not really a chance to break that except if somebody says like, yeah, I have a win percentage deck that's off the charts and we need to play this. And otherwise we kind of had the standard metagame set. We knew there were a lot of Soltai, a lot of uh, Timur slash something else adventures, um, some form of aggro, which we didn't expect to be very high, and then some random decks that's always sprinkled in, like Naya tokens, for example. Yeah. Putting all of those in a metric and a metagame sense, we thought Rogues is favored the most against everything, and that's why we played it. Okay. I yeah, I can add to that that yeah, yeah. we we didn't expect much monored for this tournament because monored was 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 losing a lot and monored is like the arc enemy of of um, rogues, so yeah that was a decision. I was also thinking if people will decide to play monored because some people they play first proto maybe they just play monored right call <laughs> it aggressive deck. I mean no fault to them. Um, that those people would probably lose in the earlier rounds. And if you just dodge them and run a little bit hot, or like, yeah, then you can uh, hopefully in the later stages of the tournament on day two, you can uh, not play against them. This, there was what, this is one of the things I referred to earlier. That sometimes, know, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a good good sign. Yeah, very good. <laughs> like sometimes you can expect to be very good against you, but you don't expect them to have a very high win rate in the metagame. And, if you're able to dodge yeah. those early, which I didn't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like I played against Monorant the first round and then also the second round. So that was kind of the tournament and how it can go. And that's also like the unlucky mythic spoiler from Limited. But uh, if you can avoid those for a little bit, which is not unreasonable, how many percentage was it? Like 10? 16. 16. It's not unreasonable to never play against it. So... um. So what is it about Monored that was like such a problem for Rogue? Because it's the fact they have instant speed interaction and a clock. Because like obviously we saw in the final there, you playing against Gregor, uh, I can't pronounce his second name, but Gregor. In the final there, you know, you made the Soltai deck look pretty stupid to be honest. Obviously Gregor's a solid player. Is, is it down to the fact that it's, it is able to beat you at your own game of being aggressive, but also being able to interact at when you put your Rogues down? Or is it something else? Well, they yes. have a one-mana instant speed Vindicate, so that's pretty good. Yeah. They have a lots of escape creatures. Some of them play Phoenix in the main deck. They have a very fast clock. I mean, Rimrock Knight is very annoying against your blockers if you if you ever want to block. 
I mean, it's just a efficient red creature deck that has escape creatures that are really annoying and it's just the, all the mix of these things together is just tough to beat. The reason why rogues is so strong against those slower decks is that it kind of plays like a legacy deck in form that you have very cheap cards. They're all instant speed. It's very uh, essential that you do a lot more actions than your opponent because your cards are naturally weaker. And Monored combats that by having a higher power level on each of the card alone and still being as cheap. And that's a very bad combination. So I think that's why also rogues, if you looked at the standard thing, almost nobody expected rogue to be a factor. And that is a lot because of rogue not being represented on ladder a lot, not being represented in a tournament a lot, mainly because the win rate of rogues is so low on those things because it's hard to play. It's insanely, incredibly hard to time all your spells to make it them be good against your opponent because you need to know what they're playing. Open deck lists favor rogue a lot because you you, you know when you're allowed to do something. Uh, you need to know when to do it and what you can allow your opponent to do when you tap out and stuff. And all of this is is very, very difficult. And that's why a lot of people in the chat you see like praising Arne, not that he didn't deserve it, it was great, but praising Arne for playing so good because for them, it looks like Arne plays with open hands, right? They they see like Arne makes the right decision in those things bec- even though they don't, like Arne doesn't know the hand. And that's what you basically have to do in order for the deck to be incredibly good. Well, actually, I'd just like to ask Arne something about that because quite often uh, the main thing I watched was the final, but like uh, Gregor or somebody was about to play a card and like before your opponents even played the card, you've got your like uh, drowning lockup. You're, you're literally already getting ready to counter the spell before they've even played it because you know something's coming. Is that what uh, Taralf was saying there? Like you know what the deck list was, so it's pretty high percentage chance that they're going to play this certain card here or are you just like balling on them? Is that what, you know, it's like proper? <laughs> I I don't know how to, yeah it's just analyzing what they can have it's and it's it's just repetition too right what Toffel was yeah. referring to what's one of my strengths just playing a lot of games and learning really fast what it matters and when it matters and for example in one game I think you're referring to a mystical suit I did on an omen where I like moved it onto the screen yeah. before he even cast that omen because I knew probably had kept the omen there or like my my goodness I was kind of lucky he could have also not had an omen there right. But um, I just knew already that if he cast that omen, I'm going to counter it. So why not save the, the one second of, of moving it? Is that kind of like how you normally play, though? Because like, it's extremely confident. Obviously, as I've seen in this call with you and in the final uh, during the tournament where you're saying about how you were farming people, you're obviously not shy of saying a few words here and there. Is that just the way you are? Or like you're just I mean, extremely confident with your plays? I mean... I, I, Am I con? Yeah, I think I, I, yeah, yeah. I guess I'm confident. I don't think I'm arrogant. I'm, I'm just confident about. Um, I'm pragmatically confident, you could say. Um, I also told Riley after the interview we had, like on one day, that if I'd be a betting net man, I'd probably put money on myself. Right? Yeah, now. I wasn't joking. I mean, <laughs> it's very yeah. confident, but for me, it feels normal in a position like that. I have. I'm having a great deck. Um, I'm a reasonable player. I mean, yeah, uh, I just, <laughs> what else can I add? Well, uh, there's just one other question I really wanted to ask about the standard, which is the play that everybody was talking about, of course, on Twitter and everywhere else where you, um, 
You, I wonder I what play exact, he's going to talk about. Yeah, I can't remember the exact <laughs> situation, but it was uh, around Ox of a Gonas, and obviously you, you did certain, you counted something to kill. I, I don't even know, and I've seen it a hundred times. Like, but like, how did you? Because like, you took a bit of time with that one. That one you really take a bit of time to think about. What was your thought process there like? Was it just something that like you were thinking about? Okay, should I make this play straight away? Were you trying to figure out, or was it something that you just figured out as you went along, and it just suddenly dawned on you? Oh, I can actually do this. Um, well, mainly what I was thinking about, if I can use the mystical dispute to do this trick, and I wasn't <laughs> sure how it works in arena, but that was the first thing. I, like I saw the orcs, and I I knew I had the game locked up. I have him milled out on the next turn, hundred percent, right? If I just nothing happens on his turn, then he is just not going to have a next turn. So in that position, um, I just knew um, the interaction. Yeah, well, I, I, <laughs> I just know about the interaction, right? You, you you put something on a stack. For example, if you have a Fable Passage in play, you can just crack the Fable Passage and respond. You have to hold control. Then you counter the Ox. The Ox is a creature, so it can only be cast as a sorcery. So the Ox goes into the graveyard after I drown it. And then the favorite path trigger is still in a stack, and you hold in control. You get priority with your instant. Then you cast your instant playing to dust, exiling the ox. Um, I think, well, it's it's a play that took many people by surprise. I feel like because they they've never seen it, or it just doesn't come up in in a format like standard or historic. Right? It's it's it can come up rarely in legacy or modern. Um, but yeah, that's about it. I mean, I, I was just thinking if Mystical Dispute would work, but, but because then I could have still had a drone in my hand. Even yeah. like extra, extra. Like, <laughs> so, Was this more of a case of like experience with various formats and like repetition, like you've said several times, that you kind of knew about this situation and if people played a bit more, maybe they might have seen it as well, but they probably don't play um, various yeah. formats, certainly. I mean, Toffel is also into riddles sometimes. So we sometimes have like weird scenarios where Toffel is, uh, or we have a play where we don't know what to do. And it's probably something weird with the stag and you have to hold control or something like that. So I, I, I knew about these interactions. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. So here's the thing. Uh, it's also, it's a very similar situation to a legacy play that was already uh, like a very important play when you played against Storm. Yeah. And, I don't know if Arne ever encountered this situation before in a standard match, but because of his experience of legacy and his thinking, like he comes in a situation even if he, he doesn't know. So he's like, okay, I have this ox and my opponent is going to cast it without me doing something. Can I even do something to prevent that? And then all of those like muscle memory for magic plays, yeah, it's, it's what I would say, uh, comes into action and say like, hey, wait a minute. I know that... Uh, I've seen this happen, like the situation to be prevented like this. And I don't have the same deck or the same uh, interaction, but all of the tools I have create the same thing. And then he's just, yeah, that that's the same thing. So I'm going to do it. And it's in a, that's why you play and test a lot. That, that's, that's why playing more magic and that's why seeing all the situations reward you. And this situation is very narrow. It probably happened in this tournament exactly at this moment of time. But... Yeah. There are a million situations like this that can only happen once, but will happen to you in any given tournament. Okay. So maybe now I will move on to historic a bit. Yeah. So you guys talked about Blue Black Rogues being like a legacy deck almost, right? Very efficient. So now we can add Thought Seizes in, Fatal Pushes, and you've got yourselves a historic deck, right? I mean, apparently not. So what was the thought process there? Why not play Rogues both formats? <laughs> I mean, I actually played against Javier Dominguez on the ladder 
uh, with some blue-white control deck, probably. He was playing Rogue in Historic, uh, but it was like two weeks before the Pro Tour. Anyways, fun fact. Um, yeah, well, the Rogue <laughs> deck is just not that good in, in Historic. We Someone tested it on our team and just said, like, mm-mm, that's... Mm-mm, don't, so don't what do. makes it good in Standard and not Historic? Uh, efficiency. Cards are much more efficient, cheaper. Um, you look at John Sacrifice, just they can they can claim your 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 important creatures away. If you mill them, hey, that's that's not gonna get not gonna look great if you mill some wolf striders and cats. Um multiple factors that could get factored in why a deck is not good in a in a certain format, even if it might look good. Like I was also thinking, yeah, efficient creatures into the story, it's all very efficient, technically could work. Maybe there will be a, a time where it can shine in Historic 2. Toffel, no. do you agree? Have you got a similar no. perspective? <laughs> it, it, will, it will not be a Historic deck. Uh-huh. Um, like, specifically talking about the cards that get added from Strixhaven, I, I would be surprised if, if the rogues make it. And the reason is the same why it's right now a deck. The rogue cards themselves are pretty bad. Like, the one drop is pretty bad, the two drop is pretty bad, and you need all the interaction and density to make the deck a whole because every card relies on itself like on the other cards. into the story is not good if you don't have seven cards or eight cards if you don't mill them your, your deck is kind of trash your like your cards don't do anything and that works in standard quite well because your opponents give you the time to develop the state where the cards are great and also they're catching up mechanics like their cards to do anything are kind of bad they take the best they have but they just don't have the pool of cards that they want to have and the story gives you Cheap interaction removal spell, like the the thing where Anna said that Frostbolt is like a Vindicate, one of my new card. Everybody has fail push, right? If they want to. And everybody has claim, even better. And then you don't get the time and the resource to set up your deck being good. So you never get to the states where you're pressing. Okay. Yeah. So uh, it's okay. So we rule out rogues, obviously. But Historic <laughs> is still very wide with clearly Judd on top, right? Food, cocoa, but it's on top. And now you take Auras, and then you also uh, you, you twist it a bit, right? Because normally, it, if I remember correctly, it mostly play these kind of indestructible creatures or like the gift protection creatures. Here you play none of them, and you play Thoughtseize. What happened? Well, so for me, and I think Toffel was on a similar track, we were thinking about playing Blue-White Control for this tournament. Nice. Nice. The blue <laughs> the blue white control list I had was kind of good against John Company, um, but well, the SG, huh? Yeah, the SG made John Food be the top dog in the format, and that matchup wasn't so great. Uh, you couldn't deal with the trail; your cages were less good. I mean, uh, it's just not great for blue white, and uh, it's hard to fix because they put in like eight sideboard cards into and yeah, so. Then we just had to go with the team deck. Yeah, the team deck. Because uh, lots of people on our team worked on Auras for like two weeks straight. And they just figured out that the deck was very strong against everything who that was trying to beat Junt. Like Blue-White was an easy matchup for them early on. And, and all the other creature decks, John, uh, I mean, Goblins and stuff like that. The Coco so, deck also, right? Excuse me? The John Coco also, I think. You mean they were beating them? Yeah, not food, but John Coco they were kind of good against. Well, I mean, it's gotten a little bit hyped up, you know, how it can happen in a, in a yeah. like, <laughs> bubble, you know, like, yeah. oh yeah, this deck beats everything, right? I mean, 
let's not go that far. Um, no, that, that's but, that's what I what I heard from them telling us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you gotta okay. like analyze. Yeah, 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 yeah. So your um, rather of choice would be blue eyes control. Right? And so I don't want to bash my teammates here, but I think they were no. a little bit too over the top. Um, runner, yeah, for blue white control. Um, if John Company is a deck, you can definitely reg register um, blue white control. Yeah. Why not register John Company or food? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, John Company is a dog against. Um, well, John Company is not great because it's so one-dimensional, you know, compared to John Food. John Food has like this this third dimension with the with just the food grind your plan instead of killing you quickly with claims and whatever. And Corvold is an amazing magic card. Of course, it's like five mana win the game most of the time. Um, so I would have played John Food, um, but everyone was aiming at it, right? So it was like the top deck, and everyone was prepared for it. Look at the apps on this that like LSV and everyone brought on their team. So yeah, Black Red Auras was a deck that, just like Rogues, underrepresented, underappreciated, underloved. I mean, just a poor, poor. No, um, it was just a not very expected deck, and it's always nice to play such decks, and it's always nice to play proactive decks. And this was really proactive, right? I just played multiple matches against random decks like Band or Team Adventures in Historic. I just played my O2 and put a bunch of auras on it and fought sees my opponent. Just that, that's it, right? I mean, the deck was just really good against everything else, and we thought we had our John matchups to like forty-five percent. Um, yeah, we just felt comfortable with it. And I mean, I didn't work as much on the deck. Like people like Johnny Goodman, a very young, talented magic player from the US, worked a lot on it. So I can't say much. I just trusted in their work and hey, it worked out. Yeah. So I've got another question. So I don't know if you're up to date with that, but we've got mystical archives coming and it just puts in just a bunch of brainstorm cards into the format brainstorm. So what will you play once it drops? Have you thought about it already? Any um, upgrades to Auras or maybe you know, come back to Blue White Control or play something with Brainstorm? We we can say because it's uh, part of the tournament. <laughs> um, yeah. Now I I would say that the the card that looks the most dangerous to me is Tainted Pact and oh with Lutri right the companion. Uh, yeah, I mean, naturally, because you have to make your deck kind of a Highlander deck. I, I, the mana base could be different, but um, you you basically take Lutri for fee. But the way it interacts with the Oracle and the mm -hmm. the Companion, it's it. I'm not. It's hard to say if if it's good enough that you can play everything once. But a two card combo that costs four mana or five when you only draw one card. Because of Tainted Pact, if you Lutri it, you win on five mana, uh, end of turn. Then it's very hard to beat. And it, it sounds to me that, I mean, I, I don't expect any of those cards, like every one of those cards to stay in Historic because there will be shakeups. Um, but that's where I would start. I mean, I'm scared by Faithless Looting. That card, um, I mean, it might not be broken enough right now, but it has definitely potential. Um, Arne is an Arclight fan. <laughs> yeah, but you like an Arclight shell or maybe Hollow One shell or a new shell? Yeah. yeah. Shell? What are you looking the at? Like the, actually, like the Storm got incredible tools. Yeah. Like it's, they have like the Tendrils, uh, Mind's Desire, Tendrils, Brainstorm, Faithless Looting, Mizzix, something. Yeah, Sorry yeah, to crash your party here. I know you guys enjoying yourself, but how do you get all the mana for that stuff? Like, how do you ramp? Oh, you, you play lands, basically. 
that's how we get mad. No, I mean, there there are a lot of cards that help you cheat cheat the mana. Like you can uh, play the. I guess Billgate is not the best one, but uh, you can play the 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 Mox Opal thing and maybe have some legendaries. Yeah, Emery. Yeah. yeah, I've seen actually people also uh, want to play Bolas's Citadel with the with Weather the Storm because it also is a life gaining storm spell. So mm. you can also go to, 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 to gain fifteen and go on right. Citadel is very hard to pull off as you can know your library. Like if you if you hit the card, it's great, but then you so excited you hit it, play the Citadel and there's a land on top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can't play that. Yeah. The I, and also, for example, time warp is an is an insane card, right? Also, it's it's one of the time walks that is not removed from your graveyard. So there are a lot of interactions that you can use to play it again and again and again. So that that probably will will have some some moments. And I think it's it's going to be a wild west of a new yeah. power level we haven't seen. Yeah. So my last question would be. Can you give me one card that you wish was a mystical archive in historic? I mean, oh, well, Hidetsugu's second ride is already a card in historic, so <laughs> nice. I, I, I'm, I don't see. So I would probably play a pick cryptic command. Honestly, so, I know a card that I would like to see in historic, and that would be Emrakul, the Promised End. Ooh. I mean, control players don't like that, but I guess it's. It, it, I I enjoy Mindslave effects a lot. I think that card is not dangerous enough that it would break anything because it costs a trillion mana. And also, I never spoiler. This was the time before Arna was there to tell me what I should play. I never played this card in standard before it was banned, so I kind of regret of any of this. Arna, you. I'll go with like not an unreasonable, yeah, like you could say force of will, force of negation, or something like that. Uh, I'll, oh, okay. I'll just go with Kalitas trade off. Get I oh. think that'll be a nice just rounds out the black cards. Nice. Yeah. I I think there are uh, there like the the archive thing is a very cool thing to make historic unique from every other thing. One problem is that you have like a branding of historic, but nobody really knows what's in it, if, except if you know. Like, yeah, why is this card in? Well, it was like in this archive. Yeah, but which? Why is it in? Like, nobody knows what the metric for it is. But uh, I think they they set up for a very nice way to add cool cards, like where people enjoy playing with them a lot, um, and also to remove them if they're too powerful without having any big cost because Historic is mainly an online event. But then if we get so, so many sweet cards, which we do, then people will just keep shouting at Watsi, give us Cryptic Command, give us Snapcaster Mate probably. Because yeah. it's not unreasonable to want to get it. So now yeah. people will keep shouting, I mean, fair enough, give them Cryptic Command. So yeah. yeah that, that's the problem. If you give people like your hand for feeding, they take yep. the whole arm, right? And it's... I don't think people would change even if you did it. Like, it's it's stronger that people are excited to play with those cards and then can demand something else. But uh, I mean, let them, let them try. It's it's don't I don't think it's they just because unreasonable people want unreasonable stuff. You shouldn't make people have fun when when those things come. And 
I mean, you can always write a letter to to what's in say, like, I really want Snapcaster made in historic pretty please. And if enough people do that, they will do it. But if you're the only one, you probably don't have much weight. We were talking there about the uh the miss the archives there, mystical archives. Um, have you guys looked at the new set yet? Is there any cards you're actually excited to try out in standard, modern, historic, <laughs> whatever, the new set? There's a is a spoiler just now that we saw that I found really interesting. Uh which is a white and a black that excites a monocolor permanent as an instant. Yep. It just came out. Like, verse. Yeah, vanishing yeah. verse. It it has incredible like applications probably, which I wouldn't know what because like I have to think about it. Maybe Arna can elaborate. So here it is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you the 60 card deck. <laughs> Listen up. <laughs> so we're going to have uh, 28% of the decks will play that. Yeah. So the problem with a card like this is that you don't have an existing archetype to, to go into. So it's harder to access how, how like, do you have the Doom Foretold decks? I mean, sure. But the card is extremely powerful for sure. Um, but yeah, it's like, it's like really, really good. Um, Assassin's Trophy power level sort of. I mean, if you look at the format, there's not much monocolored stuff going on. To be fair, that might change with a lot of monocolored creatures joining the format with Strixhaven. So we'll see. But it looks to be uh, potentially one of the best cards in the set. Maybe you could be playing Modern. You can exile or you know, Jace the Mind Sculptor and Soulscar Mage at the same time. Oh, right? is it target permanent? Yeah. Non-land permanent. Non-land. Non-land no, yeah, yeah. permanent. Because monocolored permanent and lands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, Dried Arbor's Green, right? Let's not let's not forget about Dried <laughs> Yo. Okay. Do other lands, when they become animated, become colored? Probably. If right? they say so. Yeah, they yeah. say so. Like, like Nissa leaves them colorless, but. Link, is it like the Ink Moth Nexus also black? No. No, there's no artifacts. I think it's like, if you don't have like Treetop Village, which becomes green, right? Yeah. Yeah. But it, becoming a color is usually more of an older thing. Like, yeah. uh, probably the last three years, they didn't get a color. Uh, I can't think of one that doesn't, I mean, face is saving, I guess, but... the yeah. No, they, they oh. have this this mechanic from Oath of the Gatewatch that puts lands, uh, counters on lands. Yeah. Um, what is it? I don't know. It's like, you, you pay extra and then you have the card effect, but also put... X amount of land that you animate as a creature. Yeah, and I think like, all of those were colorless. Like, there's also that five cool. mana instant that puts like nine counters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awaken, awaken the Vigigazi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that might make it green. Not sure. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> what do you think about the new uh, Planeswalkers for the new set? Everybody was pretty hyped about, you know, the Strixhaven Planeswalkers, Liliana and uh, Cosima. Do you think there's any applications for those in any formats whatsoever? Uh, um, yes. <laughs> should I go ahead? I mean, Liliana is maybe a nice one-off for the Sultan Ultimatum deck in standard. Uh, I mean, if you want to do the Magecraft uh, Chain of Smog stuff, you probably have cheaper cards to do that combo with. Um, I mean, the card is just a little bit weak for six mana, I'd say. I mean, just plussing and anticipating losing a life is a good ability, but the minus is really not getting there, and the Ultimatum is even not that great either. I don't see that card being especially uh, powerful, maybe a one or two of in some decks. And Kasmina, I don't feel great about. That's that's not an Oko. That's definitely not an Oko, luckily. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you mean, like, they? yeah, it just does nothing. So I've got, I've got one question then. What about uh, Polovic Adamodarosa? 
Aber oder nur Discard. <lacht> um, I would put all my faith in Arne that he tells you what he's going to do, because I think he, he knows way better than me. Okay, fine, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about this effect. I've never played with this effect. It's interesting. It is certainly interesting. It's like a Forzies, but it just makes the card cost two more. I don't know. Um, one toughness is pretty bad in standard against um, Bone Crusher Giant. Um, I mean, Merfolk Wind Rover blocks it just nicely too. What about formats with like Ethervile, maybe? Yeah, I, the, sure. the thing I was thinking about was that it was fetchable with Recruiter, I think. Yep, yep, yep. So I don't know Legacy at all, but maybe there's a certain window where you want this effect of exciting to more than any other. And like, there, there are so many headbears, I couldn't know when I would something like this, but it's certainly a toolbox that you sometimes might need to have. If if I would try to make uh, a comparison, it feels a lot like the effect, just to trigger the ability, feels a lot like Revain when it makes something for too uh, expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is very important in some matchups when Shadow's Verdict costs two more because you only need it for like one or two turns that it needs to be more expensive. And it only needs to be a certain card that is like not all the cards, only some. Uh, so I think the effect is kind of good, but the body is kind of disappointing. Yep. Cool. Okay, well, I think just to finish things off, you know, with both of you being pro players, very successful in many tournaments, um, you know, a lot of the listeners, I'm sure, want to kind of get some advice in how do they, you know, up their game almost. So, like, why don't we finish off with both of you giving, like, one tip of what you would give a player that's, let's say, on Mythic on Arena that wants to look into playing qualifiers but is unsure maybe how to test or even how to get into those types of fields? Um, I, I suppose I can go ahead. I mean, it's very diff- different for each individually what, what really helps you and where your weakness are that you have to um, basically fill up. What helped me a lot, um, just watching a bunch of coverage, watching coverage, good commentators, watching... Channel Fireball videos, for example, where Reed Duke just talks through his plays, talks through what he picks, consuming six hours of content every day. I did back then when I was a kid in school. All right. So I have uh, three things, right? The first thing is, I'll save the best one for last because that's really good. Um, The first thing is, be aware that you're actually improving and trying to learn when you watch coverage, for example, or watch the streamers, there's the fact and when you look at it, they make like some place, they explain something, it's all that nice. But you're not actively learning as much when you're just passively consuming. You need to make like an effort to learn. And what I specifically mean by that is, let's say you watch a draft, right? And you see somebody having been on the first pick on the first pack and they take like card A is better than card B and they pick card A. And then you look at this and say like, that sounds reasonable to me. I would have done the same. In fact, you wouldn't have, most of the time maybe, but if you stop the process right there and ask yourself what would you pick before knowing the answer, your answer would be different a lot more than you would think. And then you would be picking card C or card B or whatever when they put pick R8, and you wouldn't have gotten this process of understanding why there was a difference in your choice and theirs. So if you if you consider yourself as a passive an entity in all of this, it's much more easier for you to accept that something is correct than you would actually make a decision. 
And that is very important because whenever you feel like you're agreeing with something, you don't learn because you're relying yourself saying, I would have done the same. There's no idea why, why would I think about it? The second thing is when you're in a group with players that play magic a lot, let's assume you're the best person, right? You're just overall the best magic player. You're just better than they. You crush them in drafts, for example, or in the tournaments or whatever. Being better than somebody else does not mean that you're better in everything they do. A lot of people are worse than you in, in some things, but at least there's a few things that are they are better than you at. And in order for you to become better, it's your like mandatory thing to find what your friends are better than you at. So for me, it's very easy. For example, if I take Arna, he's much better in constructing, right? So I listen to him when he says something. He's better at evaluating cards when they come out. He's so better at so many things. But even if I would uh, take other people that don't play as much, there, there are so many skills in Magic that you need to have in order to get to the top level. You need to be tilt-proof, right? If you, if you lose, then you don't uh, go on tilt. You need to be emotionally stable. You have to have um, the like level of exhaustion cry out, maybe your, your physics, but also within game, you need to have the right deck. You need to make the right decisions. A control deck is vastly different than an aggro deck. There, there are people who like to play control more and only play control, and they have a lot of rich things. Like you need, this sounds a bit more objectifying than it actually is, you need to know what your friends are good for for you. And that doesn't mean you, you make them like not for anything else, but listen to them if they tell you something where they're ex experts at and learn from that, right? Uh, and the third thing is, <laughs> this is the best one. Arne is offering coaching now. So, if you, <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you want to get better, nice. you can go to yeah, you can go to uh, Arne's coaching website and book lessons. Nice. Oh, is that literally? Is that actually true? Yeah, that's actually. True. Oh, I thought you were joking, man. No, no, no. no. no where, like, where can people find and, that? And, and to be very, very blunt on this, right now, he is, for, for what he has to offer, he's pretty cheap because also his, uh, his just things started going. I would assume this not to stay the same. Arnie, where can yes. people find you? Like, where can people get this coaching stuff? Um, you can go on my Twitter, of course, at HoshenMTG. Um, there's all the information you need. Or you can check me out on Twitch at... Uh, Twitch TV slash Arno Huschenbeet. And um, yeah, I'm working together with GameSense. That's a coaching platform for esports and they uh, offer, you can find a profile on, on, on my Twitter. Thanks Wait. for the shout out, Tom. That was so smooth. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was good. <laughs> wow. Just, I think what I can add to the how to improve or what helped me also improve playing tournaments. I mean, these little SEG satellites, for example, just getting into the state where you have to play for something instead of just laddering, you know, which doesn't really mean that much and um, helps you to, to exactly like learn to, to be okay with losing in these, in these fields and, and just the experience, just get experience, play these little tournaments. They help you for the big ones too, even if they're not as prestigious. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you know, it's really great having both of you on and, it was very insightful. So, you know, thank you for being here. Oh. We'll, we'll come back at the next time when Arna wins the next Pro Tour. <laughs> awesome. It was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Awesome. I mean, that that conversation was great. It was really nice meeting both Taralf and uh, Arnie. And it, honestly, it's nice having a uh, very qualified players talking about what uh, what we're normally talking about. So that was great. 
Anything you guys kind of got out of that conversation that you didn't know going into it? Yeah, I'm, I'm really like my life, my love for limited has kind of reinvigorated. Mm-hmm. Like, like it, sh- it showed me that I should really pay more attention to this format and just not just brush it off because it can really, really make me evolve as a magic player. So that was certainly my biggest takeaway. Yeah, mine was pretty similar. I mean, Taralf talking about how thought processing works in both Constructed and Limited was very relevant, especially when he was breaking down Arnie's Oxivagonis uh, claim to us play. Similar there, the, the way we think as magic players really kind of opened my eyes in how we develop and, and get better. Was there anything that particularly you liked, Tavern? Well, actually, it's um, actually in Arnie himself. You know, he's an incredibly confident bloke. Um, and like you said in the podcast himself, like he's, he's confident but not arrogant. And that's a really key point to have. You need to be confident. If you're going to be in any any competitive like sport or anything like that, if you want to be reaching the top, you've got to be confident in yourself. Now, obviously, you need to hold that back a bit. You can't be going around saying that you're the best player who's ever played or anything like that. But yeah, he's confident but also pretty humble. Now, actually pretty impressed me, I've got to be honest, more than anything in this podcast. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with that too. I mean, just a great episode overall. And hopefully yeah. Yeah. you listening did like it too. And I guess we should... Thank you guys so much for making it this far into the episode and we'll catch you guys in a couple of weeks time. Cheers.